Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Woodridge. So great to be back with you. If you have your Bibles, hope you do. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. And in just a moment, we're going to look at a couple of verses there in Proverbs chapter 4. Always fun to be here. Uh, some of you, if you don't know who I am, you're thinking that's not what I expected California to sound like. Uh, I'm actually from Arkansas, moved to California two and a half years ago. I, yes, I'm the one who moved to California, and uh, but having a great time there. So, so grateful to be here, grateful for Jeremy and Wendy, their leadership, their friendship, Mark and Susan, their kindness, and uh, honored to be with you uh, today. I want you to think about a situation in your life uh, where maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you just feel like, I don't know what the next step is, and life isn't quite the way I want it, and this isn't where I expected to be, and you just kind of feel stuck in that moment. Or, or, or think about a place where maybe there's a little bit of anxiety rising up, and, and maybe anxiety isn't a normal thing for you, but you're, you're feeling it in this very specific situation. Or think about a relationship that just isn't quite in the place that you want it to be. There, there's friction, maybe there's even fracture, and, and you're wondering, what have I done to, to con- contribute to that, and, and how can I fix it in, in some way? What, what's an area maybe that you're stuck, another area in which you're anxious, or, or an area in, in which there is a brokenness in relationship? I honestly believe through the text today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through a little bit of work on our part, uh, that we can walk out of here with some tools that, that can change those situations, change those circumstances, if we're willing to consider it. Proverbs chapter we're going to kind of use that as a text to guide our thoughts and what's going on. I always think about the book of Proverbs is like a father writing to a son. The son is growing up. He's about to launch out into life. I have a 15-year-old boy who's going to get his car keys if he's obedient, he's going to get his car keys in just a couple of months. And so I, I just uh, relate to what's going on here. So it's a father writing to a son saying, hey, you're about to launch out and be on your own. Here's how life works. Here's what you got to watch out for. So you got to watch out for laziness and watch out for greed and watch out and get in a relationship with the wrong type of woman. And, and yet here's some powerful things that are there uh, of the power of connection, of community, of, of hard work, of relationship with the right uh, type of woman. And, and so literally the father's about to launch the son out into the world and he's saying, here's, here's how life generally works. And that's where we pick up in Proverbs chapter four, uh, beginning in verse number 25. Let your eyes... Look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So my grandfather is one who taught me how to drive. I think it's a brilliant way to go about it. Uh, I watched my father teach my sister, and I thought, I want no part of that relationship whatsoever. And so my grandfather taught me how. I think it's better. I think grandparents are more patient with grandchildren. I think grandchildren are more obedient uh, to, to grandparents. And if it doesn't go well, the grandparents have lived a long life. And so it's just better. And... and in those regards. And so, so the advi- I still remember the, the distinct advice my grandfather gave me in driving in the back roads of Arkansas, which we just call the roads in, in Arkansas. He, he said, son, keep it between the devil yellow line and the ditch. That was it. That was the only really guideline that I was given, between the double yellow line and, and the ditch. If you can do that, you're probably going to be 
Okay, so, so a couple of years ago, I flew out to Sacramento. Jenna and I flew out to do this interview uh, for a job. And we landed at the Sacramento airport, rented a car, went out, got on the five. The five merged in the 80. I'm not going six lanes of traffic this way, six lanes of traffic coming back the other way. I distinctly remember thinking to myself, there is no way I'm moving my family to this. I did. <clears throat> a couple of months ago, my mom came out, picked her up at the airport, went out, got on the five, the five merged in the 80. I'm going 85 miles an hour up six lanes of traffic this way, six lanes of traffic back the other way. My mom turns her head and looks at me and goes, who have you become? <laughs> you know what amazes me uh, about the interstate system? It's not when it breaks down. It's not when it comes to a standstill. It's not for what Houston is known for. That is not what amazes me about the interstate system. We expect those kind of things. Now, what amazes me about the interstate system is when it works. When traffic is flowing and moving and the amount of cars that are going and the speed with which we can go and how can we, we can almost just reach out and touch the person next to us. And so it's the speed and the proximity with which everything moves when everything works just properly. That's what amazes me about the interstate system. And do you know the technology that has allowed that to happen? Paint on concrete. That's it. If, if you put a line on the concrete and I stay in my lane, and more importantly, you stay in yours, we can move with unbelievable speed, with amazing proximity, with little fear or danger. And yet last year, in my little town in Auburn, California, 13,000 people, they repaved a road, it rained, which doesn't happen, so they didn't have the time to put the lines down. For a couple days, we drove without lines in my neighborhood, and you would have thought we were in the third century. People didn't know where to go, they didn't know what to do, little crashes and fender benders were happening, all because there was not paint on concrete. Can I give you three lanes of life? What's mine? What's theirs? What's God's? What's mine? What's theirs? What's God's? To the extent that you and I recognize those three lanes and, and properly put the paint on the concrete dividing them and, and then learn how to navigate them and when I should be in one and how I should be in the other, to the extent that you and I do that, our lives move with tremendous speed, can, can work with tremendous proximity uh, with other people without any fear of, of a crash, uh, uh, of a standstill. Uh, but the moment you and I begin to get in a place we should not be, all hell breaks loose. And, and our lives come to a crashing halt. Feelings get hurt. Relationships get broken. We feel trapped, stuck. Anxiety begins to rise within us. And all those are consequences. They're evidences that we are not living in the proper lanes of life that that I think God has given us. In Proverbs chapter four and, and, and verse number 25 here, the, the father says, hey, let your eyes look, look straight before you. He says, he says, give very, very careful thought to the paths 
of your feet. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. What he's telling the son is, there's this great temptation in life to live a life lacking intention. And whenever you lack intention, your own desires, culture itself, that just general drift in life, it's gonna take your feet into places that you should not be. And whenever your feet are in locations they should not be, you're gonna experience the consequences of that disobedience. And the father is telling the son, as you live your life, live your life with great intention tension, making sure you are where you're supposed to be. Do you recognize that there's some of us in the room today that are not where we're supposed to be? I'm not talking about the seat you're in right now. I'm talking about there's some circumstances that, that you're trying to meddle in that aren't any of your business. Do not look at your mother-in-law right now, whatever you do. I wrote the book, Stay in Your Lane. It came out on Mother's Day, and I, I told my mother-in-law and mom, that's total coincidence that this came out Mother's Day weekend. But there, there are some things that you're trying to control that you, really, you can't control, and the byproduct of that is, is anxiety. There's some things that you're supposed to be doing that you, that you can make a tremendous impact, not only in your lives, but, but other people's lives, but you're living in denial of those things because you are fixated on some things that God doesn't even want you paying attention to in this moment. And he has brought you into this place to help give you an invitation into a better way of life. What's mine, what's theirs, what's God's. If you're taking notes either mentally or on, on a sheet of paper, hopefully you've drawn a couple columns and, and now you've created these three lanes, what my, what's mine, what's theirs, what's God's. And, and then I want us to put a word under each of those questions. So under the what's mine column, now I want you to just write this word control. Control. There, there are some things in life that God has given us to take responsibility over our own lives first and foremost. And, and the response to that is, is control. That it's our responsibility. Now, the, the biblical word probably here would be stewardship, that, that we're supposed to steward over these certain things that, that God has now given to us. And, and so we are now supposed to control those things. But there are some things that don't belong to us. And yet we aren't helpless or hopeless. That, that's the what's theirs column. If you're taking notes, T-H-E-I-R apostrophe S. Don't make me check your spelling. Under the word, what's the question what's theirs, I want you to write the word influence. Things that aren't underneath my control, I'm not helpless or hopeless, I can influence them through my own model, through my own relationship, through the words that I speak, the life that I live. I don't control them, but I can influence them. And then underneath the column of what's God's, I want you to write the word acceptance. Some things aren't our decisions, they're not our choices. And those things now God has called us to accept. Control, influence, Accept. I call that the CIA. Control, influence, and accept. You need to know the CIA because the CIA knows you. If you can figure out what is it I'm supposed to control, what is it I'm supposed to influence, and what is it I'm supposed to accept, and then act in those ways, I think your life will move with tremendous speed, with great proximity, with far less anxiety, with far better relationships, far more effective in everything that's going on. But here's what tends to happen. I tend to ignore what's mine, fixate on what's yours, and fight against what's God's, and it causes kind of these life jams in so many ways. So how can we learn to stay in our lane? All right, let's look at what's mine. All right, what, what actually belongs to me? That's a question we don't, we don't think about very often. 
God created us as human beings. He gave us responsibility. And, and it's not like we're helpless or hopeless in this life or in this world. And, and I'm a firm believer in the sovereignty of God. But what amazes me is not that God is sovereignly in control of all things. What amazes me is he has delegated some things to my feeble hands. I'm more amazed at how much I do control in my life than how little of a control I have in my life. Why would God, his sovereignty, handle so much responsibility to me? Yet he has. And so my own life, my, my, my own marriage now belong. Jenny and I now control that. The outcomes of that are, are solely the responsibility of Jenny and I. And together that belongs to us. Our kids are getting older. And so every single day that, that they, they live, I'm moving more and more of control of their life from my column into the what's theirs column. Sometimes I take things back because they don't handle them very well. Uh, but when the kids were first born, when the kids are first born, everything is either in my column or God's column. My own attitude, my own effort, the inputs I put in my life, the, the places I position myself to be influenced, the friends that I surround myself with, uh, my, my own level of hope. That doesn't belong to anybody else. It's not your job to make me hope-filled. It's not the church's job to make me full of hope. Whether or not I stand in this culture at the beginning of 2024 and I am pessimistic about what God is doing in this country and around the world or full of optimism and hope of the idea that the gospel is still advancing, he has placed us here for this reason and for this purpose, and we have a tremendous opportunity. Whether or not I'm living in hope or pessimism in America in 2024 is solely dependent upon me and nobody else. And yet if you outsource your hope to your favorite news station, you will be hopeless even as they are rich. What's your level of hope today? That belongs solely to you. And here's my challenge for you. I want you to figure out everything that you are in control of and to fixate on those things. My own character my own character development, the character development of my children, that belongs to me. Those are the things that, that I actually control. And because God has given me so much control that surprises me, I really don't have much time to spend thinking about anything else because there is so much that now is under my own leadership and stewardship. And so I want you to own everything that belongs to you without hesitation. But not everything belongs to you what's theirs. In the same way that God has given me responsibilities and expectations and agency over my own life, God has granted the same thing to other people. And I have to recognize that there is a difference between me and them, and they get control of their own lives. I don't get to control it, no matter how poor they are at controlling it. And so there are some things that belong to other people. Uh, but notice, here's what tends to happen. I tend to live in denial of what I control or what I tend to do is go, yeah, I can take care of that, but I'll take care of that later. What's more important in this moment is what's going on with other people. Here's human tendency. John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Peter's denied Jesus three times. He no longer knows, even after the resurrection, he doesn't know, am I in or am I out? Is this an unpardonable sin? What's gonna happen? The disciples are out fishing. Jesus tells them, you know, get on the other side of the boat, all these fish come in, Peter recognizes it's Jesus, Peter swims to the shore, the rest of the disciples row their boat ashore, hallelujah, and, and so they, they get to the shore, and Jesus is cooking breakfast, 
And at some point, Jesus takes Peter on a walk. And he, you remember the story, he asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter says yes. He gets a little frustrated not understanding the parallelism of what's going on with the three denials. And then the text says that Jesus looked at Peter and said, whenever you were young, you went wherever you wanted to go, but now that you're old, somebody else will lead you. Somebody else will dress you. Somebody else will lead you. And the text says, Jesus told Peter this to tell him what kind of death he would experience. So imagine you're on the beach and Jesus is prophesying over your future. What's the first question you're going to ask Jesus? Here's what Peter said. Seeing John in the distance, he goes, yeah, but what about him? It is such the nature of sin-filled humanity to fixate on what God is doing with other people that we lose track of our own responsibilities. And there are some things that don't belong to you. Kevin Thompson's translation of what Jesus says is, it's none of your business, stay in your lane. What I do with him is between me and him. What I do with your ex is between God and your ex. What I ultimately do with your child is between God and that child. What I do with that coworker who's, who's stealing everything from me and taking all the credit is ultimately between God and that coworker, stay in your lane. But we hesitate to do that. Here's, here's what I tend to do. So, so Mark chapter 19, a rich man comes to Jesus and uh, says, hey, what must I do to be saved? A great question. And Jesus goes, well, follow the Ten Commandments. And the man arrogantly goes, I've already done that. Kind of humorous. Jesus, the text says now, knowing his heart, knowing where his idols were, uh, Jesus says, oh, okay, we'll sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the text says, the man was dejected and walked away. Now think about what that means. He's dejected and walking away from Jesus. He's walking into eternity without God. He's walking into now a, a punishment for all of eternity. It's a horrific outcome. And do you know what Jesus did in that moment? He let him walk. You just let him go. Jesus so respected the humanity of this man and his right to make whatever choice he wanted to make that he did not interject or intercede in that moment. He gave the guy the choice and then he allowed the guy to make the choice and then walk away. Do you know what I would have done? Whoa, hang on now just a minute. You don't understand the consequences of the decision you're about to make. Sell everything you own and give it to the poor. That was hyperbole. Nobody actually does that anymore. You know what? We do 10%. What if you sold 10% and gave it to the church? Too much? What about a one-time gift to the building fund? 5%. Like, can you give anything? And what I would do is I would have chased the man down, got in front of him, and said, hang on now. You don't understand where this is about to go. And I would have disrespected his right to make his own decision. And I would have tried to co-opt that and to make that decision for him. Let me ask you, dear friend, if Jesus didn't do that with this man, why do you do that with your adult child? You say, Kevin, you don't understand the consequences. The consequences for this man was hell. And yet there are some things in life that we do not control. But notice this. When you and I try to control something that is not ours, not only can we not control it, but we actually lose influence. I don't know if any of you had a parent like this. I didn't, thankfully, but I know some of you might have had a parent that they never realized that you grew up. And so whenever you were 35, they were still treating you like you were 15. 
and, and just kind of interjecting themselves into your life. They're telling you how to raise kids, and they're telling you who you should and shouldn't marry, and they're telling you what to do. And they're just, they, just, they just never recognize that the season changed, and they kept on parenting you in the exact same way as you were always parented. And what happens in those kind of circumstances, or it could happen with a boss. You ever had a boss that would micromanage you? Not, not oh, I hired you for skills, now go do your job, what do you need? But instead, comes in and doesn't trust you and tells you everything that you need to do. Anytime we have somebody who does not respect our personhood, our own humanity, and they try to control decisions that are rightfully ours, we lose respect for them we try to push away from them and what happens is in that moment as they are trying to control us what they actually lose is influence over us sitting with a family great family college kids were were back for the summer and they were just kind of struggling a little bit so they came by the office and I said yeah I'd be an outside source and listen seriously great family and and, and the mom started talking about how the the 24 year old how he had a girlfriend that she didn't like I said great I said Man, that, that's, you, can, you don't have to like anybody. It's totally fine. I said, I mean, is this the first time he's finding out about this? And she goes, oh, no, I told him. I said, okay. So he came to you and said, hey, what do you think about my girlfriend? And you said, well, that's not my choice. Oh, no. No, I called him and told him I didn't like her. I said, that's none of your business. You have no right. Now, if he asks you, and hopefully you build a relationship where he does, my, my dinner table has six chairs, so there's four of us, right? So I have a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old. 18-year-old with Down syndrome. It's a little different scenario, but not too different. And, and I, I often tell them, look, there's six chairs around this table. Who sits in two, those two empty seats? That's going to be y'all's choice. And, and as long as those choices do not put us in physical danger, your mom and I, our only responsibility is to love whoever you choose to put in those chairs. We don't have to agree with it. We don't have to like it. We have to love them. That's our task. Now, if you were to call my son right now and ask him at 15, hey, what's the most commonly used phrase your dad tells you? He would say this, be careful who you marry because they're the most likely person to kill you. <laughs> that's, that's married life. But in the end, it's their choice. And so I looked at this loving, caring Christian mom and said, your son gets to date or marry whoever he wants to, and you keep your mouth shut unless he asks. I feel like there's a tension among the women right now toward the stage. (laughs) Now, hopefully what will happen is, what I told her is, as you begin to respect his right to make his own decisions, he will begin to trust you again and he will actually begin to ask your opinion. You see, what happens is whenever we don't control something that is not ours and we respect the personhood of who gets to make that decision, it makes that person far more likely to invite us in to give influence over what's going on. So the irony is when you try to control something that is not yours, you lose both control and influence. But whenever you stop trying to control a situation that is not yours, you don't lose the control because you never had it, but you, you raise yourself a tremendous amount of influence. I have a friend's son, horrible situation, strung out on drugs, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this to guilt anybody or, or give you a magic formula. It is not. But my friend would say this. My son got better when I allowed him to start being his own man. And he would say, ask me about me and I'll tell you about me. He couldn't ask the, answer the question any longer about his son. People would always say, how's your son? How's your son? How's your son? 
he finally had to step back and he'd say, ask me about me and I'll tell you about me. His son got clean and sober. When he began to respect what's theirs and not try to control it. What's mine? We control it. What's theirs? We influence it. But then what's God's? There, there are some things that don't belong to us or really other people. Those are the things that we have to accept. What are God's? That diagnosis that could come your way? The impact of the global economy and, and what could end up in, in individual job loss? Uh, a, a relationship that you wanted to happen that hasn't happened for whatever reason, that just hasn't come along right now? A pregnancy that you've desired that, that hasn't taken place at this moment? There are these things that, that end up in the sovereign hand of God, and we have to leave to his sovereign sway, as the old song says, to choose and to command. And we, we don't get to control those things. We can pray, we can try to influence, no doubt, but in the end, we have to accept them. And yet so often I try to fight back against God. I want to I play that role. God, you don't understand what's going on here. And, and everything that you're trying to control, there's a couple situations that you're overlooking that if you will just cede those to me in this moment, you and I will be much happier. And it doesn't work. There's, a, there's an old television show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, I, I'm a pastor. I can't recommend it to you, but it's hilarious. And um, so it's, it's, it's improv, right? And so the amazing thing about improv is without any writing, without any script, without any preparation, we could call a couple people up here, if you have some experience with this, uh, we could create a scene that would be funny and, and engaging. And, and so improv is built around one basic principle. And that is, if one character introduces something into the scene, all the other characters have to accept it and, and then build on it. You, you just have to accept it and then build on it. So imagine if I called you up here right now and we're going to act out a scene and in that moment I pulled a gun, right? These are illustrations I can use in Texas I can't use in California, right? And so, so I, I, I pull a gun. In that moment, you can't go, whoa, 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 we can't do that. We're in church. We can't make those jokes in 2024. You have to accept it and then build on it. Now, you can say, hey, why are you pretending to have a gun? You can say, hey, why do you have a water gun? You can say, hey, why do you have a gun that doesn't work? You can say, hey, why do you have a gun, but the bullet's still in your pocket, Barney Five? You can pretend like you're the Matrix and dodge every bullet. You can use any 60s or 90s interpretive tactic that you want to use to figure out about this gun, but you have to accept it and then build on it in some way. But the moment you don't accept it, the drama stops. If there's a place in your life that you're currently stuck, here's my guess. There is something that has been introduced into your life that you cannot accept. And so you've stopped building on it. And you're trying to debate with God the reality of this thing. When in reality, you need to open your hands in acceptance and say, okay, God, that belongs to you. And begin to build on it. The diagnosis has come, okay. The diagnosis is here. I'm going to pray that God would take it away, no doubt. But what, what's the treatment? And, and now who can I impact with this diagnosis? 
the relationship ended. I didn't want it to end. I would have done everything in my power to reconcile it, but, but they didn't want to. Okay, this is the life I now have. How can I begin to learn new things? How can I uh, begin to go forward in some way? Okay, that adult child has rebelled, has gone away. I never wanted them to go. Okay, in the end, I'm gonna lead them to God. I still love them in every way possible, uh, but now I'm gonna build on this life that God has now uh, given me. This grief has overcome my life, overwhelmed me in so many ways. Okay, God, teach me how to accept it and how can I now live this new life this new reality now in the midst of this loss uh, that I now have. How can I take what God has given me and now build on it? And whenever you do that, life continues to move. You see God at work. It doesn't mean you understand everything, but you begin to see God at work. But notice it's the rule of acceptance, not the rule of agreement. To accept it does not mean you go, oh, this is absolutely the best thing. Well done, God. It doesn't mean that. You can, like the psalmist, shake your fist at God and God, go, go, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but it's yours to do. And now I'm going to move forward. What is it about your life right now that you really don't agree with? That is beyond your control. How has life taken a turn you never expected? Okay, you don't have to like it, but will you accept it and then build on it in some way? Let me, let me close with this story. Daughter of Down syndrome, 18. So 18 years ago, Jenny's pregnant. And the technology was just kind of there to begin to diagnose uh, Down syndrome prenatally. And, but for whatever reason, they didn't diagnose Jenny. And Ella was totally fine. Um, I, I still remember the day the, the test came back and the doctor said, hey, she doesn't have this, 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 doesn't have Down syndrome, doesn't have this. And so the birth occurred and we knew nothing. Everything, it was first baby, Right. Uh, we didn't know what to expect. Right? I mean, it looked like the love child of Barney and Elmo. Like, I, what am I supposed to tell from what's, what I'm seeing in this moment? And um, so they cleaned Ella all off, and I brought my mom back, and my mom's holding Ella. Mom's crying, and I'm thinking, oh, mom's so touched that her son, you know, had, had a grandchild here for her. And I would come to find out later that my mom taught school for 40 years. She could look at Ella and knew she had Down syndrome, but knew we didn't know yet. Also knew it wasn't her role to tell us. So everybody kind of cleared out. We're in the room later that night, have some guests, and, and, and the pediatrician walks in. And so the, 9 o'clock at night, Friday night, I didn't think a thing about it. He was my pediatrician growing up, also my neighbor. It's Arkansas. He was my mechanic, my barber. <laughs> um, and, and so he asked to clear the room, and I, I could tell something was going on. And so he beautifully began to say everything that was good about Ella, everything that was beautiful and perfect. And then he, then he said, hey, I noticed this crease in her hand and her ears are a little bit lower, her nose, her nose actually looks normal and that's not normal and uh, there's a space in her toes. And, and he finally said, hey, I'm, I'm very confident Ella has Down syndrome. And he sat there and he asked every question, answered every question we had and, and finally he left. And, and, and back then they would actually take the baby to the nursery for the two days that you were there so you could get some rest. Now it's like, yeah, good luck. And um, so, so now the room is empty. After nine months of pregnancy and excitement, I'm going to walk over and these are going to be Jenny's first words to me after this diagnosis that is truly going to forever change our lives. And Jenny says, well, this is a road we never would have chosen to go down, but I bet you we never regret going down it. It's acceptance. Okay, God, we didn't choose the diagnosis. We didn't have a say. We, we, we would have changed it. We would still change it if we could. We don't. 
So God, we're going to take what you've given to us and we're going to build on it. We're going to accept what you've chosen. We're going to influence her to the best of our ability, but in the end, that's ultimately going to be between you, her and God. And then we're going to control everything we can possibly control. And to the extent that you and I control what's mine, influence what's theirs, and accept what's God's, we truly can worry less, love more, and get things done. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? I wonder if we can just have a moment of prayer here, just a moment of reflection. I have no doubt that, I mean, this is such a simple idea. I get it. It's, it's a crazy idea of how simple it is. But I, th- I think you already catch on of how many applications there are in life to it. Let me, let me just encourage you to take your notes and just talk to them this week, work through them. Let's just kind of walk through these columns a little bit from the end to the beginning and just reflect. All right, what's God's? What's the, what's the big picture things that God is sovereignly in charge of and how your life fits into those things? A diagnosis, a relationship that was broken that you didn't want. Maybe by now you thought, man, I thought I'd be married by now and you're not. Or I thought I'd have kids and that pregnancy is difficult. A tremendous loss, that sorrow, that parent that you thought would still be here that isn't. That job that got impacted by the global economy, not of your own doing. I wonder if just right where you are, if there's something in your life that you're struggling to accept. If, if you would just pray, God, I, I kind of have a new insight today. I thought I had to agree with it, to accept it. Now I realize I don't. So while I hate what's going on, I am from this point forward going to accept it and build on it. I'm going to take the cards you've dealt me, and I'm going to play the hand. What's theirs? Okay, what belongs to other people that doesn't belong to you? And are you influencing them to the absolute best of your ability? Which means you're not acting in a passive way, going, well, nothing I can do about that. But at the same time, you're not trying to control it. Because that attempt at control will cause you to lose influence. Instead, are you using your life, your model, your your words through a relationship? Are you showing people what they could have in the Christian life? Are you inviting them into your home to get a taste of uh, of what scriptural truth is? Are you inviting them uh, to church? Are you building relationships with them? Are, Are you influencing them to the best of your ability? Pray right now, God. Forgive me for how I've tried to control this situation, this person. My intentions were good. The results have not been. Now allow me to respect the fullness of who you created them to be, to trust you and how you work in their lives, and empower me and position me to influence them in a positive way. Now what's mine? What is it that you control? Your own diet, your own exercise, your own spiritual growth, your own level of hope, where you're positioning your time and your attention, how much attention social media is getting or your favorite news station of, uh, of where you th- what you think is truly important in this world as we move in 
to what is this, this new year? And will you just pray, God, empower me in this moment to fully control everything that you've given me and to maximize my life for your glory, which I know will also be for my good. Now, ideas like this, they can have an impact. This is an easy idea to share with your unbelieving neighbor. It's, it's, a, it's an easy book to give to a coworker and say, hey, we heard about this at church. It was meaningful to me. It might be meaningful to you. What is the action step God is going to ask you to take to figure out what you control, what you influence, and what you can accept? We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.